Welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino, and today I'm joined by Michael Cartwright. Michael is the co-founder of American Addiction Centers, and until late January, he served as the company's CEO, and he's now fully shifting his attention to his role as chairman of AAC's Board of Directors, where he's focusing on strategic planning and partnerships. Michael, thanks for joining us. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you being on the time today and, and really enjoy your magazine. Really excited that you're rolling out a podcast. What you do for the industry is so important. So I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate that. So until recently, you were serving as both AAC CEO and board chair, and your organization made the announcement that uh, Andrew McWilliams uh, was being promoted from chief financial officer to CEO uh, and as I mentioned, you're turning your attention to your role as board chairman. I remember last spring, you guys rolled out uh, a 10-year strategic plan, and you had a conference call, and uh, Andrew had a pretty big role in, during that call in walking reporters through that. Was this idea for a transition to move him into the CEO spot and let you kind of focus strictly on your role as board chair, was this something that had been in the works for a while? Well, look, I'm running a public company is complicated. And, sure. and I've been fortunate enough in my career, I started in 1995 running a not-for-profit called Foundations Associates. And then later on in my career, I ran a company called Foundations Recovery Network that we had facilities all across the United States. And, you know, it grew up, but it was a private company and it was much easier to uh, operate. Now, American Addiction Centers, when we started out in 2011, our, our sole purpose was to build a company that we would take public and really work on innovation and really need the capital to innovate in any industry. And so we were fortunate enough to be able to go public in 2014 after only being you know, in existence for three years. That, that was pretty amazing feat. And the team that was involved in that, really you gotta go back to Andrew McWilliams. I don't know that AAC would ever have been a public company without Andrew McWilliams. Uh, I don't know if you know his background, but he, worked at HCA on their audits of their public company for years, ran a large team there. We were fortunate enough to recruit him and bring him on as our chief accounting officer. And I have to say, I've been just thoroughly impressed with him ever since he joined our organization and helped us take the company public. And we elevated him to the CFO about three years ago, two, three years ago. And he's done just a phenomenal job. And we've been partners at the hip pretty much nonstop running the company since then. And, you know, it makes a really nice transition. So him and I have had conversations in the past about this, just didn't know when the right time would be, but we believe that the right time is in 2020 and it makes a really good uh, avenue to, for him to bring on a CFO to support him. And then I can still support the company in a different, more strategic role as the board chair. And so I think it makes really good evolution for the company. So what does the day-to-day look like for you now? How is this transition going to affect what you're working on and, uh, you know, what you got your hands on and uh, what you'll be doing going forward? Well, this week would be a good example of what I can do uh, to help American Addiction Centers. So Monday, I spent Monday and Tuesday, I was with the uh, VP of HR, Tim Stein, and we were in Washington, D.C., and we were working on behalf of American Addiction Centers in Washington doing a variety of different things. And then on Wednesday, I needed to get down to Nassau, where I'm working with the, the government and looking at their behavioral system and how it's designed and where 2030 vision could play into that in the Bahamas. 
And on Wednesday, I also had a board meeting uh, for American Addiction Centers via phone and been communicating nonstop with the team and working with them. At the same time, I'm able to do some projects I think long-term will help with the 2030 vision. Okay. So you actually um, have me. You actually have me today working with the medical director for the largest health player in the Bahamas, who we're on an out island here, where they're trying to put a new hospital and some services for uh, a, a population. I know in the United States we think we have lack of care, but when you get to some other countries, it's truly don't have access to any services. And so technology could really help fix that, right? Telemedicine, some of the stuff that we talked about in our 2030 vision, you know, you really need to really pay attention to that in rural areas. In the United States, it's even an example. You know, I don't know if you realize, 77% of our counties in the United States have limited access to psychiatry. And so I think telemedicine is going to play a much, much bigger role in the next few uh, years in terms of reaching people in rural communities and really giving them services that they deserve. Yeah, I was going to say, as you just alluded to there a minute ago, um, I think on that that 10-year strategy uh, rollout, technology, I I recall, was a real big component of that. Um, Can you kind of expound a little bit on how you feel AAC is well-positioned to, uh, you know, move forward there and, and make that a key part of your strategy and, and what that's going to look like in practice? Well, there's a lot of things that we were fortunate enough to invest in. Um, laboratory, for one, I think has come so much further in the last five years. Our industry primarily used laboratory for toxicology, which, look, that's good for compliance programming, and I, and I get it. And we certainly, as an industry, have been doing that for about 35 years. But now the world has evolved in laboratory science where we have genomics, genetics testing. You can actually figure out what medications to give people based on uh, genetics. You can start to even figure out diagnoses uh, related to genetics. It's getting extremely uh, good, and I think personalized medicine is only going to get better over the next decade. The other thing is blood work has gotten so much better in trying to determine what's going on with somebody's brain. Like You've also got physical health problems going on. So back in my career in the late 90s and 2000s, I was a big, big champion of co-occurring disorders. was very, very active in the report to Congress on trying to change how we viewed co-occurring disorders. Me and a guy named Tim Hamilton started Dual Recovery Anonymous, went across the country helping people like myself that are dually diagnosed, have a support group where you can talk to others similar to yourself. I think there's like 3,000 support groups now nationwide. So I think that was a big push in the 90s and 2000s, but Honestly, now I think the big push is integrating healthcare in general to mental health and substance abuse treatment because many times people are getting misdiagnosed when they have physical health problems, you know, and, and so I think we're getting better at the science and that's really where our focus is. How can we give better um, treatment plans to individuals, not cookie cutter approaches, but really individualized treatment planning processes? And so that's really where we're heading to. Now, I will say 2019 was the toughest year I've ever seen in the addiction treatment industry. I've been in it since 92, 93, late, late 92 is when we started or when I started in the field. And I don't think I've ever seen it this tough. It reminds me very similarly to what happened in the psychiatric hospital field in the mid nineties. And um, so I think AAC's goal in 2019 was really 
um, surviving. And I think that is the way a lot of companies were viewing 2019. So it was very hard to spend money on innovation or ideas, but I did think it was very important in early 2019 to put out a future goal, which would be, hey, this field is evolving. We need to determine how it's going to evolve and how we can participate in, in, in that process and give better quality care to patients. That's really what it should be about. Okay, so as you're talking about uh, challenges within the industry, uh, there was um, a news item that actually I, I saw related to your company that just popped up this morning um, uh, that uh, you're working with lenders and uh, there was a, a loan of uh, up to $12 million. And uh, the other line that I saw in this was that you've extended your forbearance negotiations into late February. Um, Andrew, uh, McWilliams said uh, in a statement there that uh, you're in the process of right-sizing your balance sheet and reducing your cost of capital. In plain English for us, what what uh, can, can you break this down? What does this mean um, for where your organization is at right now? And what do you what are you looking at being on tap here over the next three to six months? I think the exciting part is that our debt partners are working with us. Look, this industry's tough. I mean, you, you know this industry well. You talk to lots of people in the field. I had a hard time finding anybody working in the commercial insurance space running residential treatments that didn't have problems in 2019. From a census standpoint, from a length of stay standpoint, from a you know revenue per day standpoint, the model has really changed dramatically in, in almost 18 months. And so you really, you know, you have to have your debt and equity partners to survive as a company, as an entity. So we've been very, very fortunate in 2019 to have banks that would be willing to work with us, provided us $30 million in capital in early 2019. They provided us another five, $5 million in late 2019, and now they're providing us another shot in the arm to help us survive. Again, it's about survival and changing your business model, reducing your cost of capital, reducing how you operate. I mean, I've seen the industry recently go from an average length of stay of 28 to 30 days is kind of the norm for over 40 years on the Hazleton model to now it's down to like 16 days, 18 days from, from a residential model. Um, that's a big shift. I've also seen rates go down by about 20%. So you, you really have to, as an industry, if you're running a company, whether it's public or private, you have to really look at the business model you're running how can you best serve the patients you serve, work with the payers that you have, work with your debt partners that you have uh, to really navigate. That's what I was talking about. 2019 was really, really tough. A lot, of, a lot of folks in the industry decided to leave the industry or, you know, consolidate. It was really tough. Our, our company, our goal was to survive, uh, build back a good quality program. It's been very, very tough on everybody in this industry, in my opinion. And I think 2020 is going to be much better. I really do think that you're starting to see some normalcy with the insurance companies. You're, you, I think you'll start to see some organizations even start grow again. And I think that's where AAC is positioned right now for 2020 is to start really growing its company again, growing its revenue again, um, and, and having a real good thriving organization. And then 2021, I think we'll be able to get back to some really innovative things. But, you know, that's part of what we need to do now is really focus on the present, not the future. Um, myself, I'm a visionary. I've always focused on the future, whether it be around co-occurring disorders or around technological advancements or research advancements. So that's the role I can play for AAC this year. I can support the team like Stephen Ebbett's probably one of the smartest 
chief marketing officers I've ever met, not just in this industry, but lots of industries. And so I can support that team from the sidelines, being the board chair, and I know we have the team in place that's going to actually get this company growing again. Yeah, you've referenced a couple times during our chat here um, being publicly traded, and you know I think that brings an added layer of public attention and interest um, that you know private operators might not necessarily uh, face in this space. And I'm just kind of curious, in your opinion. How do you think uh, Wall Street and mainstream America view the addiction treatment industry and um, have those views impacted your company's business at all? That is a complex question. Very very good one, but extremely complex. Um, I'll go back all the way to um, probably 2014, 2015. There was a lot of exuberance from Wall Street and Main Street about this industry. If you take a look at the number of people in this country that are struggling with addiction, and then the ones that actually access treatment. So you've got about 30 million people in the United States that need services, but you only have about 5 million a year annually that are getting those services. And so there's a big, big gap to why are more people not accessing and getting care? And, and so I think a lot of people were looking at innovative ways to increase access to care. And that was the real big push for MAT. Um, you know, medicated assisted treatment, which, by the way, I, I feel like co-occurring disorders movement really kind of did MAT back in the day when we were encouraging 12-step based programs to allow people to take psychotropic medications for, you know, depression, for schizophrenia, for bipolar disorder. It's the same thing today. Now there's some medications that are out that could help someone with the recovery process. And, you know, some people view that as a positive. Some people may view that as a negative, but there are advancements happening in the outpatient basis for buprenorphine, for methadone, for Vivitrol. Um, There's newer medications coming out. There's brain stimulation stuff out on the market now that the FDA has approved. So there's all these great access to care things that have been developed. But what that also creates at the same time is the residential models. You know, not as many people may access residential care. And for the first time in 2018, we started seeing inpatient numbers in the United States starting to drop for the first time just a little bit. But the good news is there's so many more outpatient options for patients that actually more people are receiving care today than ever before. So that is pushing the field forward. So I think there's been a lot of enthusiasm for Main Street and Wall Street to really figure out how do we give better access to care and better quality care. And I think that's all positive, but sometimes that leads to bubbles and you get too many people in the industry. Some have great ideas. Some people come into this industry with the right reasons, which at all times should be about the customer really getting the best quality of care. And and I think most people like myself that have been doing this for decades and decades, we're excited about the new innovations that are coming on, but we also, are very wary of making sure that people are not just getting into this field for the money, that they really are getting into this field for innovative science to help people get better. So I saw this morning the the federal government put out some new statistics that uh, for the first time in four years, uh, the uh, U.S. life expectancy has actually uh, gone back up. And I believe I saw also that uh, drug overdose deaths are actually going down a bit. Um, as someone who works in this field, um, 
I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. And is it, you know, kind of a, a good sign for the addiction treatment industry that, hey, maybe we're making some real progress here? Well, you said something really interesting because you said addiction treatment industry. Now, to me, it's all about the patients. So are the patients getting better care, more access to care, more options? Absolutely. But that's also disrupting the industry. So those are kind of two different things because the industry is having to change, right? Your traditional 12-step, 30-day model, 28-day model, however you want to look at it, um, with some innovative science inside that 12-step model is shifting a little bit, right? The insurance companies are wanting to see more outpatient options available. The federal government is really wanting to see a lot more outpatient options, methadone, uh, buprenorphine. And again, that saves lives. So yes, if we're talking about saving lives, access to care, all of that is absolutely the direction this country needs to go. But at the same time, you've got to recognize that the industry is truly being disrupted. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on uh, the general direction of the field as we uh, move forward here in 2020? I know we've uh, covered quite a bit here over the last uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. I think the industry is going in the right direction. I really do. I think you, you're starting to see more and more innovations coming into the field through all the investments that have happened. I mean, a lot of our industry sometimes says, well, Wall Street or private equity, they shouldn't come into this field. Well, why wouldn't you want them into this field? You need capital into the field to push innovation and change, which gives you better quality programs, better quality products. So I'm, I'm having a hard time a little bit understanding why the industry, it, you know, some parts of the industry is kind of scared of capital coming in. Look, 73% of this industry is still not-for-profit organizations, mission-driven organizations. Just because you're a for-profit organization, whether you be private equity-backed or whether you're a public company, doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean that you're trying to do bad things just because you're trying to make a living to pay your staff members and you still have to pay back the banks who you borrowed the money from. So I, I really do hope that our industry starts embracing capital partners, not knocking capital partners. And, and look, I'd love to see other public companies like American Addiction Centers because they would have access to capital to innovate just like we do. And if you came and spent time at our corporate office or any of our facilities, we run top-notch facilities. We have some of the best staff in the world uh, running these organizations. So it, it throws me off a little bit when some of our field gets a little negative, especially recovery-based folks like myself. I got sober in AA. I'm still active in AA, still active in the recovery movement, but I also can embrace the science and change that's coming in the evolution that's happening in our industry. I think science and religion marry quite nicely if we really take a hard look at it. So I would encourage the field to not be nervous of capital partners, but to actually find the right ones that have the right heart that want to see this industry innovate in a way that helps patients. I think that's a, a great note to wrap up on. Michael, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate your insights. This has been, uh, this has been real good. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. Michael Cartwright of American Addiction Centers. And uh, as for us, we uh, encourage you to subscribe to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, and uh, you can always uh, stream episodes on our website, behavioral.net. Our thanks once again to Michael Cartwright. I'm BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. Mm-hmm.